UK Motor Talk. Well, hello everyone. You join us for number 77, podcast number 77, and we're here late again. Terribly sorry. Uh, Jim sat on a traffic going. And it is firework night, so if you hear some banging in the background, it's nothing more exciting than fireworks going off. Just in case you wondered, we were sat next to someone who had a pop and bang map. We've had all kinds of things going on since we last spoke, um, but let's first up, I'm Mike, so hi. I'm Jim, hello. I'm Graham, hello again. And I'm David, I'm afraid. And we are full of rampant enthusiasm for yet another lockdown. So lockdown light, if you will, this time round. And it seems that not a lot has changed out there, but hey, let's not dwell on that because I think we've all had enough of it by now. Things that have happened this week that have interested us. Uh, well, I've been watching the, uh, the, the. I know we generally don't do politics on this uh, on this podcast, but the American election has been quite entertaining to watch. If nothing else, just for the flawed um, approach to mathematics or the interesting way that the Americans have fifty states and then. So it's out of 50, so the first person to get to 270 out of 50 wins. Uh, or, uh, or indeed Donald Trump saying, you know, oh, we've got enough votes and I'm in the lead, so let's stop counting now, or whatever he came up with. <laughs> but he's already sued them over the result. It gets thoroughly confusing. But I think it confuses Joe Biden as well, because I, I don't think he really knows. Well, he certainly doesn't know where he's from or what his kids or grandkids are called. But um, it's, uh, it's fun to watch anyway. I think they should just settle it by drifting or something. Smoky burnouts. <laughs> a drag race. Why not? Because, frankly, I've been trying to follow it. I'm just bored already. It's the fact the results take about three bloody days. That's what I find really confusing. I did spot one motoring connection on one of the newscasts this evening. Uh, Biden from yesterday, uh, posing in front of a Biden thing, whatever it was. Uh, I couldn't be bothered to read it. But I did notice it had a picture of a Corvette on it. Uh, a 60s Corvette and I thought what the hell has that got to do with anything but it's a nice link to America, a podcast because America I think Biden likes his cars I seem to remember he turned up on an episode of Jay Leno's Garage a couple of years ago when he was the vice president and he was bemoaning yeah. the fact that he's not allowed to drive anywhere himself by the secret service and he actually quite enjoys being behind the wheel and he was missing out so Jay Leno let him loose on some test track somewhere closely followed by a whole load of lads in mirrored shades obviously but he um, he did seem to enjoy himself so i think he's uh, he's certainly more human than the incumbent so does that mean if uh, if we're casting our votes for the uh, the president now we'd all vote for biden then <laughs> well given the choice i think i'd, I'd vote for a tree <laughs> that was a, one of the cornerstones of biden's campaign was hey I'm not Trump. I'm not him. And that that seems that seems to be good enough to win over slightly more than half the country. So that's uh, that's good news. What do we think that Donald Trump would drive? I think something hideously ostentatious. A hard bargain, according to him. <laughs> <laughs> a big lumpy Cadillac, wouldn't you? A wafty sort of thing you stop and the suspension keeps rocking for about thirty-eight seconds <laughs> afterwards. That kind of thing. With bullhorns on the front. I think Lincoln Continental probably. Or one of those Lincolns that all the Secret Service guys drive. That's usually what they yeah, shi- shift him around in. Uh, yeah, I... well, it's it's dragging four tonnes of armour plating around. It does tend to slow him down a bit. And then the two tonnes of fat orange person sat in the back. I think <laughs> official state whatever cars are boring. What do we think world leaders should drive? Oh, Zeal, definitely. <laughs> definitely <laughs> Zeal. It's the only car for a Russian president, isn't it? Zeal. I think that what they should do is they... Should, and certainly like in the UK, for example, you see UK politicians uh, in the back of a Jaguar because Jaguar represents Britain. But I think what they should do is choose something <laughs> that they think particularly represents the country well. I mean, for in terms of reliability and everything else, maybe not Jaguar. But what else would you have? Should they, you know, should Bo- should Bojo turn up in a Lotus? I mean, Morgan. <laughs> well, I I could see him in a Morgan. Well, I'm reminded of the film A Morgan: A Suitable Case for Treatment. It would seem highly appropriate in his case. If you haven't seen the film, it involves <laughs> carrying a burning gorilla down the street. It's it highly appropriate. <laughs> I, honestly, no idea what that is. I think what we can decide, though, is that we are far better talking about cars than we are about politics. So let's move swiftly on. 
since we last spoke, we have... Uh, I would say we've gone fisting. That's not quite right, is it? We've gone out in the fist. We need to think of a better term for this. And we have sneaked, sneaked in between lockdowns with a full track day at, of course, you guessed it, Brands Hatch, because where else would we go? That's just that's just home for us, I think. And you managed to pull in some pretty impressive times, didn't you, Jim? Well, not that you're allowed to time on a uh, on a track day, of course, but uh, oh, of course, well, not not from in the car anyway. But I think you you are doing a very a very accurate job of timing from outside the car, aren't you? Which, of course, you are allowed to. Yes, of course, because we would never consider timing and getting anyone into trouble over these kind of things. We wouldn't do this from the car, and um, but we can work out roughly at what uh, what point you you crossed the line. It was roughly a 101.88, wasn't it? Roughly, roughly a 101.88, which I think is pretty impressive, considering our. Poor, slightly clapped out old Fiesta, albeit complete with some fantastic uh, race stickers and now some smaller wheels with some sticky tyres. Well, it's probably, what do you reckon, 130 horsepower now, maybe? Yeah, it's, it's certainly down on a few, isn't it? But I looked up the um, uh, the BRSCC Fiesta Championship because there, there was another one on track, actually. There was a, uh, a Mark, uh, it was a Mark 7 ZTEC S. Uh, or you can run the Mark VI uh, ST in this championship, and they're all sort of balanced balanced out in terms of performance and power and whatever else. So supposedly the, uh, the the ST 150s run 175 brake horsepower, so I'm not quite sure what they do to them. Ours is certainly nowhere near that. But the chap who stuck it on pole last year did it in 57 seconds, so I thought to, to be within four or five seconds and, and that amount down on power. Um, That's very respectable. I thought that was that was pretty good to be fair. I mean, it's on road brakes and um, road tyres. It's lowered, but it's only on springs, isn't it? The dampers are standard, mm. so I presume they've yep. still got all their fluid in them, or all the fluid has leaked out and been washed off. One of the two. We're not quite sure which. They're, they're not leaking at the moment. Well, what we can see from the photos, as always, you you absolutely no mercy. Gave it absolutely no mercy. Um, so I expect that something else will be broken again. Because this is this is what you do. Uh, I did. Well, I did. I did thump that curb coming out of Druids again, and uh, and then I remembered. Yeah, that's how I broke the top suspension mount last time. So it felt you all right did. after that. And I didn't hear a bang on the drive back, so I think I think it was okay. But no, it was a uh, it was a really good day out, wasn't it? it? Stayed nice and dry. There was a bit of rain first thing in the morning, so it was a fairly wet track, but a dry line soon emerged, and the rest of the thing dried up, and it was uh, it was a cracking day. We had there was some quick other cars out on track as well, and the but it was quite nice. There was a, a decent bunch of cars that seemed to be about the same, you know, power and pace wise. There was that Fiesta. There was another Fiesta from the same championship, an ST one fifty that was out for a bit. Uh, there was a uh, there was a Bora of all things that was out and about. That was and, quick. Uh, that some thing. good some good scraps with him couple of Clio's they were good but the uh, there was a, a bunch of Subaru owners out and some, oh, God. Of, some of the money that had been spent on some of those cars and roll cages and specialists this that the other sticky things you know 400 brake horsepower and did any of them look in their f- mirrors no they didn't I mean no lo- lots of uh, lots of go in a straight line but they uh, they weren't up to much around the corners which was peculiar I, I have to say I, I kind of get they're trying to be careful with the cars and everything else I was stuck behind a couple that were on a Sunday drive, but th- I think the worst the worst thing was just being taken or undertaken going into corners when you're on the racing line and then you're being knocked off the track just because people weren't paying attention. And I don't know if this is because we didn't have a proper race briefing and you just had to click through the boxes and listen to the man talking on your phone or what. But uh, yeah, really unfortunate. I mean, we I, I love a, a Super Pretz. You like a Super Pretz as well, don't you? But but yeah, it yes. was that uh, it was dangerous. <laughs> I say dangerous. It was borderline dangerous. I think there were sixty cars on track. So when we say some cars, oh, that's there a were lot sixty. Of cars. There was there was a lot of traffic. That's um, a hell of a lot of cars to put on track. There were sixty cars there, but not sixty on track. They did do a, a reasonable job of limiting the numbers, and I think that lots of them thinned out as the day went on, and and they blew up or. Bits crashed. fell off or whatever else, so they parked yeah. it for the day, yeah, or crash. So as as the day went on, it got quieter and quieter and quieter. Um, but no, mm. it, was a, it was a cracking day out, really enjoyable. And I will say to the guys at Brands Hatch, to the marshals and everything, everyone else, they they did a really really good job of keeping people apart where they needed to, not being 
overzealous with with the measures they had, but being sensible with everything and just getting you out on track and just making sure you could get out there and enjoy it. And it, it was really good. And, and all jokes aside, generally speaking, most people were, were pretty sensible. We had some great tussles. It was it was like the good old days. Um, but no, it was it was good. It was a lot of traffic at times. And there were times when you found yourself in a traffic jam behind a couple of cars. But it, when you got some some clear some clear track and you were flying around, it was it was great. And by the end of the day. I think both of us had almighty smiles on our faces, didn't we? We just, it, it was so much fun. So much fun. We did have to stop and refuel and then uh, uh, <laughs> to make sure we had enough. But we, we, yeah, we really enjoyed it. Once most people have got their eye in, the, uh, the pace was fairly reasonable. But what I do like about track days as well is you, get, you can quite happily drive two inches off somebody's back bumper because you know they're not going to break test you and you just sort of pop out a bit when you're approaching a braking zone if you think they're going to brake a little bit earlier and, and you get some cars that are quicker than you but they let you through and follow your lines and you can see when they want to get past and it's yeah there's a there's probably i think sort of about 15 to 20 cars that that you knew were really really sensible and and you could just get on with it and have a really good uh, a really good scrap with them top fun that's what a track day should be like though shouldn't it it should it should be fun and it should be people who have a reasonable level of competence and just look out for each other. You know, it's a, it's fun for everybody if you're all relatively careful, you know. But three wide into uh, Druids is um, asking for trouble. And I've seen some appalling things on track days. And the, the, the degree of appalling behaviour seems to be commensurate with how much money they've spent on the car. The more expensive the car, the bigger the idiot driving it. Well, our car is really, really cheap, so I think I'll, uh, I think I'll agree with you on that one. <laughs> well, we've sold the, the spare set of wheels we had for the car, and it, it now technically, well, it doesn't owe us any money. Do we owe it money? I don't know. It's, it's what, £100 in credit or something now? Yeah, it certainly owes us less than nothing. I think by the time you factor in the uh, the bits and pieces we put on the inside, uh, mm. it's it's probably cost neutral isn't it to be fair so it's, it's technically free so yeah so there we go it, you, you do need to have something sensible to be out on track but it doesn't need to be something expensive so long as it's something that's safe i was out there and when you're you're in there and you're in the zone and you're in your element you do question whether actually you need anything more than that because the car was just spot on wasn't it it was probably the best it's ever been out there yeah railway it seemed to like the yeah. just the ever so slightly cool the temperatures didn't it there were no fluids boiling and seeping out <laughs> of the side of it so uh, from yeah. that point of view it uh, it ran very well it appears that skoda have come up with this wheeze you are mr skoda i am mr skoda but on this occasion i'm not mr skoda your seatbelt plug holes light up if you're not uh, clever enough to plug in your own seatbelt. They will illuminate and flash red at you until you plug them in, at which point they go white and go, hooray, well done, you've worked out how to do the thing you do pretty much every other time you get in the car. But, you know, anything that's a safety feature has got to be a good thing. Basically, as we've discussed offline, cars these days will bleat at you, scream at you, flash lights do all sorts of things, threaten to take the cat away, all all sorts of things if you don't plug your seatbelt in. And to be honest, if you're not plugging your seatbelt in these days, then you basically ought not to be behind the wheel or in a car. Because why? I just genuinely can't see why you would not wear a seatbelt unless you have some physical impairment. There is no reason not to be wearing a seatbelt. But that being said, this is a good thing. I'm not just saying this because I'm skoda boy these days i think it is a good idea and it's it's more sort of pretty flashing lights in a car which seems to be the thing to do these days you only have to look at the back and the front of cars to see the amusing blackpool illuminations that leds are allowing them to get away with so if it can be married to something that's useful and could potentially alert you to a safety feature in a car then i don't see why not it's like face masks isn't it why wouldn't you wear a seatbelt well, exactly, yeah. I mean, exactly. There's, there's yeah. No, uh, yeah, no physical reason not to wear a face covering unless you don't have ears, really, is there? But you can get ones that tie around the back of your head, so you're okay. But the, is I'm sorry, I'm not, I don't quite see the point in this. This is the answer to a question that literally nobody has asked because it's extra weight, it's extra complications, and everybody, you know where your seatbelt is, it's just to the left or to the right of your hip because that's where it is when you sit down because that's where it needs to be. They're, they're literally in the same place on every car all the time. I, I have understand. a theory here. I have, I've literally just thought of something. Do you think this has been designed by 
a wife and husband team. And I use that, uh, I say wife and husband team, particularly because... Well, a wife maybe... and wife or a husband and husband or a potato and an no, 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 no. helicopter, what, because whatever I think you this, identify as. This might be particularly a male problem here. And you can see where I'm going with this, perhaps. And that is, do you think that his wife would say, why can you never find where to put it? And do, you, do I need to draw you a map? Do I need to light it up? And he's gone, well, yes, actually. And this is how they've decided. See, I've, I've well, never had that problem. I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but slightly back to the days of when you'd be, you know, five up in your mate's car that was a little bit too small for five fully grown adults. So two people in the back would be saying, oh, hang on, you're in my hole. No, come out of, your, come out of my hole, get in your own hole, that kind of thing. That, that conversation would go on for five minutes at the beginning of every trip. If it's to remind you... To put your seatbelt on, all cars have that anyway. They have a light and a donger and a yeah, pressure sensors that know when you sat there, so it knows whether to set off airbags or pretension things in the event of a crash. So why, why? You know, is, if, is that is that why Skoda have done it? Because it doesn't cost any extra. If you're running an electrical feed into every seatbelt receptacle, then it costs nothing to have it light up. I think it's just another internal lighting thing, really, that they've happened to align. Go, oh, well, actually, if we put it on the seatbelt thing, we can say it's a safety feature as well. It might catch on. Mm. It looks good. I mean, cars now have the most amazing ambient lighting inside them, don't they? I mean, even even your most basic Fiesta's got strips of red all around the underneath the glove box, into the door bins, all, all sorts of things. And it's actually quite a nice thing to have this sort of ambient light in the car. Whereas yeah, before they were just dark places and, you know, and the little downlighters and all that sort of thing. If it's another point of light in the car that isn't distracting and it serves some sort of safety purpose, then I don't see it's a bad thing. I, but I, I tend, I think, to agree with, with Jim in so much as, is it really necessary? Probably not. But at the same time, it doesn't hurt anyone by it being there. And if it does catch the one person who is that thick that they don't know how to put a seatbelt on and helps them, then money well spent, perhaps. In other news, so if we talk about Vag and Vag, and that is Skoda to VW, should I, should I just clarify here? There's been a few new cars that you started to see out and about. So I've seen some of the new Golfs out and about, which I thought didn't look that great in pictures much better looking in the flesh and the interior is quite interesting as well and the new golf r's just been announced which is also interesting because i should imagine it'll have the same <laughs> fart noise that they all make which are quite uh, which i actually quite like what i find more interesting at the moment though is the id3 i don't know if you guys have seen much about these but they basically start from just under 30 grand um they are carbon net neutral if that's uh, of interest to you but i think although they're not quite uh, the new beetle as such i do think they have uh, they, they have potential to to bring electric cars more to the masses uh, and be more mainstream despite not looking particularly mainstream i actually quite like it even if it does look like a small bus as opposed to looking like <laughs> a standard car i think it's quite a cool looking thing yeah i quite like the look yeah. of it yeah it's certainly an interesting looking thing, isn't it? It's got some funky lights on it. Well, somebody's trying at least, aren't they? I mean, cars these yeah. days are pretty homogenous and so anything that stands out from the norm. I mean, a case in point, talking of things we've seen on the road, I've seen a couple of the new Honda E's around now, which look yes. like something that was designed in a meeting between Stanley Kubrick and whoever wrote Wally. But at the same time, <laughs> it's cute, it's pretty. And in white, which is what I saw it, hence my comment, I think it actually looks pretty cool. I mean, it, it brightens up the roadscape of the UK, if nothing else. So that's to be applauded. The other one I've seen as well is, um, I think it must be a pre-production or a press car, but um, one of the new Toyota Yaris GRs, which a friend ah. of mine is eagerly awaiting the arrival of his but he's been told probably beginning of next year now so he was he was pretty intrigued to see how i'd managed to see one but it definitely was because the thing was as wide as it was long it was it's it's a proper beefy little thing isn't it and they are um, cool, yeah that that looked really purposeful it was it was like the the antithesis of the honda e which looks all unthreatening and nice this thing was almost trying to bully you out of the way but you know equally lovely to see both on the road you see i'm a bit disappointed by the honda e because we saw that at Geneva, and when we, we saw it, it, the concept version of this, it was a cross between a Mark One slash Mark II Golf and a Peugeot 205 GTI, the way that it looked. 
And I thought it looked so cool because it was really retro, really 80s and really boxy. And I thought this just looks superb. Same interior that, that the production car's got. And now they've released it and they've made it a bit too cute and it's got chubby cheeks. And oh, I just feel a little bit disappointed by that because I really loved, really loved the 80s retro vibe to it. And just think of all the cool um, sort of... Uh, paint jobs you could have on the thing, a sort of livery if you will, to make it have that similar sort of 80s vibe with you know, reds and yellows and GTI, it, you could do a lot with it and now it's just a bit too cute and I think it makes me less interested in it I hate to say, because I think otherwise yeah, it's quite cool. I know what you mean is that yeah, we did, uh, we did pretty much fall in love with it at Geneva you're right, there's probably a bit of original Civic two-door styling in there as well. Yes, yeah. Um, Funny enough, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it certainly has lost a, a little bit from concept to production. But I think it's a fantastic thing to look at. I think it's brilliant. If I was in in the market for a small electric car uh, or a new small car, I, th- I think that's probably the one I go for. The only thing that lets it down slightly, maybe, is the range. But then, of course, it depends on how many miles you do to work and back or you know, nipping down to the shops, etc. If it lets you save money on your commute and then you rent something a bit bigger or, or a bit more long-legged for the odd long journey you end up doing, then, uh, then cracking. But no, I'd have one of those. I think I'd have a Mini-E. Um, why don't they call it a Min-E? It'd make much more sense, wouldn't it? Min-E. Well, it's not Min-E. Mini anymore, is it? But a Mini-E. A, min- a Min-E, yes. Uh, which I think is quite exciting, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not massively interested, as you probably know in the new new minis despite the fact i love the older new minis but i think the electric one seems quite so you have to me. a new mini don't you money i still call it a new mini even though that's 20 years old 19 20 years, years old. old the design yeah. uh well the design came out in 97 so it's older than 20 years but they've the first very first one's very old very <laughs> old indeed the, the first one on the road was 2001 so i went to the uk launch and i have somewhere in my collection of junk acquired over the years the press kit was the mini rear lamp cluster made into really? a book yeah that's cool uh, i thought it was at the time which is why i kept it it's always been that bit cheeky though isn't it mini they've done incredibly well as a brand to be able to produce just quirky and interesting and cheeky think of all the adverts that uh, that mini had where they had the mini adventure series which was absolutely brilliant uh, the guy leaning out the window slapping someone across the backside with a fish <laughs> just that's all kinds good of... fun now where did that oh, come from good... i wonder it was just absolutely brilliant i i just remember thinking it was just so much different from if you think what was out at the time what mark five fiestas um there was the old course of sea it was just, nothing was i think think about the old astras that were around at that sort of time nothing was Ooh. particularly exciting whereas the mini was just a bit different a bit fresh a bit interesting and if you want to describe it that way the first of the sort of premium city car segment and i think they still look pretty good on the road today i don't think they look as old as they are certainly when you compare them to other cars of the era which are probably long since scrapped so but then i am massively biased They've aged better than I have in the last 20 years, put it that way. <laughs> I think one of the smartest people I ever met in the motor business was the man who, uh, as a senior director at BMW, persuaded them to buy uh, both Mini, don't want all that Rover stuff, throw all that junk away, but buy Mini and buy Rolls-Royce. And uh, easily one of the smartest uh, guys I've ever met. Karl Heinz Kalbfell. Karl Heinz Kalbfeld, that's it. That's exactly it. Went on to Maserati. Yeah, very, very smart guy. He set up the first BMW factory in China in the early 80s, I think it was, before anybody else ever thought of selling a car in China. He was just a remarkably prescient individual. Was this the chap who was into motorbikes that we spoke to at Goodwood? He was into racing classic bikes. He was actually killed. And, and he's no longer with us, no, yeah. No, sadly not. But uh, but just one of the most interesting, articulate and far-sighted people I've ever met in, in, in the car industry. Uh, he seemed to be able to think about trends years and years ahead. And, you know, look what a good investment for BMW. Mini and Rolls-Royce both proved to be.
Speaking of Goodwood, who caught the uh, the Goodwood Speed Week? I have to admit, I saw a fair bit of this and I really, really enjoyed it. I was slightly confused by all, was it three days of the week? The yeah, it was week. sort of a long weekend. The, it weekend. should have been the, yeah. the speed long weekend, I think. But I thought yeah, it was really cool. The speed weekend. It made me realise how much I, I miss the place. I mean, I've been associated with Goodwood for nearly 40 years. I really liked the structure of the event. I really enjoyed the shootout, which I thought was stunning. Yeah, um, I thought that was absolutely epic to see. Uh, to see, not not quite contemporary, but uh, yeah, it was what early nineties that F one car to see that go yeah. absolutely yes. flat out round a track like Goodwood was mind blowing. It's, it's it's very rare these days. You're watching uh, a Formula One car on telly. And and it makes you, you know, a sharp intake of breath. You know, turn four at Hungary, watching Lewis go through there on qualifying was a bit, oh, bloody hell when he went through it. And, and Imola, actually, at uh, last weekend was uh, was a bit like that as well. But just watching that, that car go around that track in that yeah. manner, and he, he was certainly going for it, wasn't he? He wanted that record without and that was That was Derek Warwick's uh, old car, which I think was 86, 87, something like that. But, is that is that uh, it was very pretty um, thing, anyway. Very, very nice looking car. Very pretty. I, I, I also like the um, Judd Power Jordan, which was also uh, in there as well. But it was just great to see some of the things that they can't put on there, like mm. the, the 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 Tom Walkinshaw Jaguars thundering around. All right, they weren't racing. It was a demonstration, but it was great to see. And some of the, uh, the F1 cars. I have to say, a highlight for me was the tribute to Sterling which I thought yes. they did very well. But then given the fact that the Duke and he were great friends, it, it was done with, with all suitable respect and um, and even mm. Mark Knopfler accompanying it. But um, just uh, that little tribute was, was nicely done. So much of it I really, really enjoyed. I'm, I'm not much into the rallying normally, uh, but the rallying on track and using sort of all the back roads of the Goodwood circuit, which, well, I found fascinating. I really enjoyed Definitely. that. I, I thought it was great. I mean, I was at work, and whilst I was doing things at work, I had Goodwood on in the background, and I really enjoyed it. I did really genuinely enjoy it, because they didn't really have to do anything. And I appreciate there's a, a, a limited revenue to be had from it, but I, I did think it was superb and some spectacular displays which of course they can't do when the place is fully crowded like the f1 cars being able to have them out and black round at the speed that they do um, the risk is obviously far less when there's there's basically no one at the track gutted that we couldn't really go this year and see it i think i would like to have seen it presented by karen and tiff actually i think with them together you would have had a quite light-hearted and quite interesting review of everything that was going on because it was genuinely interesting and to be able to see racing, and as always, some people take it a little bit easier. Other people are out there to properly race and properly win. And there were a few, uh, a few scuffs. There were a few crashes. And fair play to the guys for going out there and driving them properly. And again, you know, there were proper decent legends, racing legends out there on circuit who'd never driven the cars before were being dropped in them, and it was everything. Um, you would have a mini maybe up against a Mustang or something. It was just a whole a whole width and breadth of, of motorsport. And if you like Formula One, if you like rallying, if you like classic stuff, it was all there. Mm. And especially as you can't get out at the moment, it was refreshing to be able to see some of the things that we love to see. And it did remind me a bit of some of the things we've missed this year, but I was grateful to be able to see it. And I'm, I'm really pleased I did put something on. I do uh, I do find it fascinating and and positive for the future how Goodwood does manage to, to keep reinventing itself you know you'd think the the revival and the festival of speed after the how long have they been going now 27 years of the festival of speed something like that 93 it must be 93 I've been yeah. to every one yeah. but yeah and it's uh, yeah I think I, I went to my first one in 97 I think it was and I've only missed one since uh, in, in all the years it's run, of course, and it's you know it, it it never seems to get old. It never seems to be oh well, let's just do what we did last year and that'll do because it was busy last year. There's there's always something new, something interesting, and then they take the big leap, you know, the big steps when they put the rally stage in at the Festival of Speed and things like that. But what what they managed to do, it, it you know, it gives great hope for the future. My you know the next one be the circuit. 
you know, and the house and the hill climb, something like that, and expand it out even more mm. so and make it even bigger and better. And, you know, maybe a, a two-week event incorporating the circuit and the Festival of Speed, something like that next year, who knows? Well, they're, they're very limited by their, their planning permission um, and the sound levels that they're allowed to uh, operate sad, to. I, isn't it? I can remember being taken round the circuit by bus. I remember being shown the planning drawings, as a number of journalists were, and what needed to be done. I also remember that a third event was applied for at the same time and permission obtained for that which is where we get the members meeting i also remember very very clearly just beyond the tower in an area which is behind magwick and really empty was where the planning permission was obtained for the car museum that's never come to anything hmm. i would like to see that happen surely is it he, he he owns all the land isn't he a, a duke and, and an earl and does, does that not just give him royal powers to shoot peasants trespassing on his <laughs> land or something like that can, can he not just declare anyone from a council or anyone complaining about the noise to be a peasant and shoot them does it, can he uh, not just no unfortunately I not uh, yes I, I i would certainly suggest that he he ought to have those powers but i think he's dealt very responsibly with it over the years um but then i'm a bit of a fan so there you go he's been good to me so if you're staying at home over lockdown and you're either picking your pineapple or getting chonky, why not check it out on YouTube? Because it's there and it's brilliant. And why not? What else have you got to do with your time? <laughs> we've spoken before now about continuation models a bit, haven't we? So we spoke about um, the DB5s, the yeah, the, the Aston Martin DB5, which is the James Bond continuation model, which was just a very interesting toy. We've spoken about the E-Type continuation models, which are also a multi-millionaire's toy. But there's something else that's uh, going to continue on, which we're all quite pleased with, I think. And that is that Land Rover have given Bowler permission to produce vehicles using the classic Defender shape, haven't they? Indeed, I would dispute possibly the word given. There must be a substantial fee in there, I'm sure, somewhere. Particularly as the asking price, so I'm told, uh, I believe reliably, is £200,000 per. What? Uh, that, that's supercar. Well, it's a bit more than supercar money. Two hundred grand per, that was the last I saw. And, uh, what? That seems to me an awful lot of money. For that, I would happily accept a James Bond clone DB5 or maybe a DB4 GT, which is a far prettier motor car. But for a Land Rover, sorry, Andrew, uh, well, I beg to differ in this instance. I, I don't think there's a finer car in terms of off-road car than a Land Rover. And a Defender is, is a perfect off-roader. It's, it's not compromised in the same way that a lot of 4x4s are. They have to be fantastic on the road and they have to be this, that and the other. They are just a superb car. But yeah, that sort of money, I think I would I would find that really hard to stomach. I saw uh, at uh, auction recently a an ex-SAS uh, Land Rover, uh, and not a very old one, fully kitted, uh, except for the weaponry, of course. Um, and the asking on that was 30 grand, which I thought was, OK, that's, you know, for a collector, that's not bad money. The, the ones that make lots and lots of money are the ones in the States. There was the... America got uh, for a limited amount of time in the in the 90s they got what they called the NAS spec Land Rover 90s and 110s which were even rarer NAS standing for North American specification and um, they had V8 engines and automatic gearboxes and a massive great roll cage and you know they're they're the proper rugged Tonka toy and those things fetch stupid money over there and uh, I think I saw one on an online auction not that online auction I think it was either Bring a Trailer <laughs> or uh, Doug Demuro's um, Cars and Bids thing which actually has some very interesting stuff on worthy of comment mm. at some point. Um, one of those was going for US ninety thousand dollars, ninety grand for wow. a Land Rover ninety. It hadn't done very many miles, admittedly. It was a ninety-seven, so I think it was Does one it of the very last or? as well. No, no, it was, it was all in one piece, <laughs> amazingly enough, which made it. You know, I don't know if you could part it out for more than ninety grand, but that just. <laughs> 
I, I know that they fetch stupid money, but I didn't realise they were getting that stupid. They are becoming proper collectors, you know, out unobtainable price level cars now. Um, and and they're going up and up here as well. Land Rover Defenders. Even I think my my mate's got a, a three hundred TDI. It's an M Reg one ten. Um, he's had people leaving notes on the windscreen uh, asking, does he want to sell it? Name your price, that sort of thing. And he, he said, you can't even drive it in London without paying like 60 quid a day now. But they are going up and up because they're not making them. And I think Bowler doing what they're doing is only going to increase that. It's, it's going to act as a halo for the um, for the mm. remaining Defender stock. And they're probably going to become out of out of the reach of mere mortals at some point. But 200 grand's an awful lot for a 110 Land Rover, regardless of what's underneath Definitely, uh, they're, they're certainly they've become the new Cosworth, and that they keep being nicked. Cars in general yeah. these days have have got to silly money. I mean, I was flicking through the BMW website today and specced up <laughs> a, a 330e Touring. So I don't know they're doing their Touring now. I'll have a look at that. Went with the M Sport, ticked a few options and bits and pieces, and I got Crow. it to fifty six thousand pounds <laughs> for a midsize estate car. And okay, you can plug it in, and and it's all very good for the environment. But fifty six thousand pounds for, for three series, mid size for yeah for a three series for a mid size executive touring, it absolutely insane money. It really was crazy. It it seems oh. like a lot of money, Jim. But the fact is that BMW seem to they can't build them fast enough at the moment. So there are plenty of people prepared to pay those sorts of numbers, and and. Loads and loads of special option badges and M Sport badges, just everywhere. Nobody seems to buy a basic car. You can buy a, a, a BMW. They all buy highly specced cars. It's just quite extraordinary. Well, there's no point in buying a, a BMW and then going for peasant spec, is there? Let's be honest. I mean, the people that do are going to be don't buying the, the SE, do you? Yes, a one one six or whatever the equivalent of that is these days. It was like people. These, in fact, the kind of people that do that are the kind of people that always used to buy Mercedes A-classes with hubcaps and refer to it as my Mercedes. This my Mercedes. My Mercedes. The Mercedes. I really get it. Yeah, my Mercedes. We priced up, just out of curiosity, a top top spec Mondeo, didn't we? Estate hybrid. Well, I'd say full hybrid, but it's a hybrid, self-charging hybrid, which is admittedly not a three series. It's not the same quality and so on. But how much was that? Thirty-four, something like that. Yeah, thirty-four. The the top whack, and you you couldn't put uh, many options on it. I think, if anything at all, heated seats, wasn't it? That that amazed me. That in the top level offered heated yeah. seats weren't standard. So uh, yeah, we added the heated seats, and yeah, it was thirty-four, thirty-five grand, I think, something like that. So, but, um, of course, like we've said many times before, though, it's the the residuals and the monthly payments, isn't it? You know, in uh, in three years, what's going to be worth more money? Oh yeah. Whether there'll be a twenty grand gap difference in the two in three years, I'm not quite sure, but probably not far off, to be fair. But if you were spending your own money, and I said, right, here you go, here's a theoretical sixty grand. You can go out and buy yourself a three series touring, which is a lovely car, but it's a three series touring. Or you could buy yourself, and we, admittedly, you could buy loads of cars. That sort of money, a top spec Mondeo Estate, which is fundamentally the same sort of size. And here's thirty grand for you to spend on whatever you like. And think about what you could get for thirty grand. I mean, you could have a, a track toy, you could have a, a catering or something. You could have whatever you like, couldn't you? There's lots of lots of cars you could have as a toy for thirty grand and have an estate car as well. Definitely, you've got to really want the BMW, haven't you? And uh, there are yeah. obviously people out there that do, but um, I can't see that there's very many. I can't help but think they're charging these prices to offset the bargain basement prices they're charging various police forces or the the national buying office that buys all these police cars en masse because every other car on the road with with battenberg down the side these days seems to be a three or five series or an x5 so the fleet sale prices they must be offloading that they must be losing money on those surely i know they're they're not even the poverty spec that they used to be i mean they're they're quite well equipped these days for resale value and they're not even all white anymore either for the same reason and they they've got to be offsetting the cost somehow you reminded me of a fantastic tweet i saw this week from wiltshire police and they'd pulled over a car which said on the back i was only speeding because i wanted to race the comment the response from the police was superb they pulled this car over i said clearly weren't that good 
because we were driving a BMW X5, which handles like a ferry taking on water. We still managed to beat you. And I thought that was absolutely superb. A cross-channel yeah, ferry taking on water. That sounds like a challenge to me, that does. It's a bit like a, a, another police response to... Um, a few of the roads around here where boy racers were speeding up and down recklessly. It wasn't to put in speed bumps or uh, or a speed camera or anything, you know, that, that would actually deter them like that. They put in a chicane. So all they did was make the track more interesting by putting in a chicane. And it, and it made for some spectacular accidents when people clipped in and put the car on the roof. So, uh, yeah. Well, the rumour the rumor was that they put in the chicanes down in um, Shearwater, which is where McLaren used to be. They put those in at the time to try and slow down Ayrton Senna, who would turn up late <laughs> for meetings in his company, <laughs> Merck, or whatever it was, or the obviously the Honda at the time, or whatever it was he was driving. But uh, I, I suspect there's probably more than a little truth to that, and I suspect they probably charged McLaren for the cost of putting them in. Well, I'd imagine it, it would have been utterly pointless them trying to chase Ayrton Senna. Can you imagine that? I'd, I'd pay Who good do you money think to you see are, that, the Senna? police chasing Ayrton Senna. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. didn't they stop him once and say, who do you think you are, Sterling Moss? And he just looked at me and no, I'm Ayrton Senna. <laughs> racing driver are we I think what was it on um, yeah police chasing racing drivers there was a, a great scene in uh, Wales rally GB RAC rally whatever you want to call it and Gronholm had, uh, had ripped a wheel off the car so he's driving along on the public roads but you know in between stages as they all have to and he gets pulled over by the uh, the Welsh constabulary and the, you know just when the copper said you know I'm, I'm telling you you cannot drive along like that on three wheels and Gronholm just looked at him and said Maybe you can't, but I can. <laughs> and then the copper took offence to that, and Gronholm said, "Right, I, I tell you what. I tell you what. I'll set off. Give me ten seconds. If you can catch me, I'll stop." And but I think he just set off anyway. And the, even though Gronholm only had three wheels on his wagon, the copper couldn't keep up with him anyway. So he just uh, he carried on, and that was that. But it was just hilarious. That's brilliant. I do like the laconic answers that the police. They obviously sort of think these things up on board long shifts. A friend of mine used to work with an XRAF mechanic, and they used to enjoy blatting around the perimeter roads at various. RAF bases when he was still in doing his time and the mod plod would quite often wait around and hide around corners with the speed gun and flag you down and one of their um, popular ones was having trouble taking off squadron leader I used to quite enjoy that (laughs) (laughs) the runway's that way son there's one car that we have forgotten to talk about and that is that Bentley Yep, well, it's one of the uh, sort of 1929, 30, 32, I think, 34, whatever. One of the Bentleys that, that won Le Mans many, many, many times. And uh, they've decided to recreate some. And uh, what's it? I think a million and a half is the asking price. We, um, we made a piece of film not so very long ago, William Medcalf Bentley. He's one of the specialists in rebuilding, restoring, preparing for rallying, etc. Uh, Bentley's, and I think he's cut off point, if I remember rightly, is 1932. Anything after that you won't touch because they're not authentic enough. But people do spend vast amounts of money on those cars. A very small number of people, but one of those cars now would cost you, at auction, three, four, five million so maybe uh, you know one and a half million. There's not such silly money to get a recreation. It was only during Goodwood Speed Week actually that I saw one of those in the uh, in the petrol station. Wasn't expecting it at all. What I think is really interesting though is that Bentley have been chatting about going all electric, wanting to carry on for the next hundred years or so. And when you think that they're producing these fantastic engines, you think. Bentley, you associate with W12s, huge, gas-guzzling, beautiful-sounding engines that need a proper warm-up and a damn good thrashing. And to think they'll be going all electric and all that's going to be lost, you just wonder what they're going to do, because electric cars are brutally fast and they're quite smooth, and that, that does sort of work from a GT point of view. But Bentleys were always immensely powerful, but it was about that sort of creamy power, if you know what I mean, that... Not that they could just waft around, but they were just, it was just a, a, a lovely sound, a, lot, a lovely feeling of power and a reserve, a power reserve, which was just opulent, I guess. And I wonder how you're going to get that 
out of an electric car. I'm, I'm just not sure. It's interesting, though, I have to say. Really interesting. Was, wasn't it Tory Bugatti who said that uh, uh, those 1920s Bentleys were just very fast lorries? But yes. Then that was a particularly snide remark, but an appropriate <laughs> one. We, you may remember uh, Andrew and I were both at Silverstone Classic uh, a year or two ago when the factory used the 1920s Bentley to uh, bring along the latest Le Mans race car on a oh, trailer. Oh, that was brilliant. Was, that, was, that was brilliant, the way that was done. That was done. I was just like they, they welded a number of RSJs on the back to uh, connect a tow hitch to. It was um, over-engineered spectacularly. That's still everywhere, all over the internet. It pops up every so often, it seems to go viral again. Such a cool way to turn up. I think the only thing I've ever seen that comes close to that was we were on our way up the M23 and there was someone who was obviously going to a car show or something similar with an original Land Rover. Now, the modern Land Rover they were using to tow it along on the back of a trailer had broken down. So he just (laughs) unhitched, drove round and connected this trailer to the old Land Rover put the new one on the back and continued the journey. I mean, there's not very many classics you can do that with, but I thought it was absolutely Quite hilarious true. that there he was just hooking up. You know, this, I, would, I think antique is probably unfair, but certainly a classic, and towing his, his new car, which must have been worth a fortune. And it was pretty much brand new as well at the time. I bet it really turned a few heads when he turned up. I, there was a story, I mean, we were talking about that one and a half million Bentley, There was a story that I spotted uh, yesterday, I think it was, which was that Peugeot are setting up a specialist division to rebuild Peugeot 205 GTIs, 1.6s and 1.9s, and turn them out as though they were new cars. Wow. Right the other end of the market, perhaps, but they were good cars in their day. So this is the thing, though. At the moment, the price of... I mean, certainly the price for 80s, hot hatches and everything else, they've, they've... skyrocketed gone through the roof and they've become unobtainable and it's the same now with with early 90s stuff and it gets to a point where people have given up you know particular cars for families and everything else and suddenly they have a couple more quid in their pocket the kids are are on the the way out of union and i imagine that more and more of these are going to become attractive because if you think about the cars that you had when you were younger the stuff that was particularly fun and i'm thinking about stuff that you could pick up back in the early to mid-noughties. Like XR3s, I was buying them for 100 quid because the interior is better than the one I had then scrapping the rest of it. It'd be absolutely sacrilege to do something like that now and they'd be worth a fortune. But stuff from the 90s, you, you see 106 rallies. How often do you see those things anymore? They've, they're all gone, aren't they? All that kind of stuff. 205 yeah, GPIs were everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And cars that were, were to a penny... They're worth a fortune. Well, look at the... I don't know if you've ever sort of been tempted by redline auctions. They're the people that will buy something like a Renault 5 GT Turbo or the one that attracted me initially. It was a very early, very original, very um, lightly used, I believe, um, Uno Turbo from the early 80s. And they will sort of sell you a ticket for 8.95 or something like that, limit the number allegedly to 600, and then... Uh, come draw day on Facebook or wherever. Not that I do Facebook, so I have to go on the next day to find out if I've won it or not. More often not, not. Um, and they've got all sorts of things on there. XR3Is, they've had uh, Fiesta and Escort RS Turbos. Uh, what was it they had the other day? I mean, it's basically all the stuff from my youth, and that's why you can't mm. buy it anymore because they're buying them all up, tightening the things up, and then sort of charging everyone eight ninety five a go to try and get one again. I it's tempting. It's very, to very tempting. I've become so yeah. addicted to them, and I'm, I probably do one of them a month. If you think about it, cynically, it's a great way of being able to get rid of a car that you can't otherwise sell. So mm. if you think it's worth, I don't know, 10 grand, and then you say, I'm going to sell 15 grand's worth of tickets, and when I reach the 15 grand's worth, then you pull a draw. People are, are more willing to put their hand in their pocket for a tenner than they are for 15 grand for a 10 grand car. So I'm sure it's a, a fantastic business model as well. And people are sold on the sure on the idea or the dream that they might be able to to win something. And I have to admit, I'm I'm pretty chronic for it. Although I tend to go for the ones that are two or three quid as opposed to a tenner, unless it's something that I really want. Um, I've entered a couple for Aston Martins, which I haven't won, and old minis, which equally I haven't won. There's a theme going on here. Um, and I guess if you bought a, a decent batch of tickets, every time you buy a ticket, you double your chance of winning, don't you? So for me, I've done it instead of doing the lottery. 
because I would spend probably the same amount of money and I probably would only go out and buy one of the cars with it anyway if I won. Yeah, and you've got much better, better odds. odds of winning. Yeah, there's better odds oh, of yes. winning the Just car slightly. than winning the lottery, isn't there? Just slightly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've got a better chance of being hit and killed by a bus on your way home from buying a lottery ticket than you have actually winning. So so the story goes. <laughs> I really like the idea that you could you could spend your tenner, your fairy tale comes true, and you end up with with something that you know you always dreamed of but could never afford to buy. And at that point, you definitely know you've got to keep it and not uh, not just flog it on. But... That includes for me practically everything on the road these days that I dream after and can't afford to buy. <laughs> <clears throat> Coming back to our earlier conversation about how prices have shot up. Yes. If it's a three series, then I can understand that. 56 pounds. I was going to say, put, put that into perspective then. Would you pay like £40 on a ticket to win a BMW 3 Series Touring? No. Think you would, would you? No. No. At this point in the podcast, we would say about the things we're looking forward to doing. I was really looking forward to blasting around the track in an Aston Martin. Well, I say the track, blasting around Silverstone. But unfortunately, that's been cancelled due to lockdown. Um, and that seems to be a bit of a theme, I think. Has anyone got anything that's particularly exciting that's coming up? No. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's that time of year, isn't it, where it's pitch black when uh, when you go to work if you... Uh, if you can't work from home or it's impractical to do so, then you can go to work and it's dark. And then when you finish work for the day, unless you're part-time furloughed, then uh, then it's dark when you go home as well. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it's just generally a bit of a crummy time of year. So hopefully we brought a glimmer of light relief and comedic entertainment to your long winter evening. Well, yes, uh, unfortunately it is November 5th we're making this and uh, I haven't heard uh, or seen even a sparkler in my local neighbourhood, which is rather sad. Well, we got them here. Given that the original intention was the burning down of Parliament, which some might be in favour of. Some might, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment, but yeah, count me in. I thought there was going to be fireworks. <laughs> now, we've, it's sounding like a war zone out here, but then again, that could be actually the war zone, because the army tend to go out and play, and we hear them on the uh, in the distance. But no, it's been fireworks down here, so it's situation normal, fireworks night up in... Um, slightly further north of where you are, Graham. So you can rest assured it is still happening. Good. Good. Burning down the Parliament. Oh, no, no, sorry, I misunderstood you. <laughs> uh, well, give me time. I've got, I've got to get in the car yet. I was going to say, well, you can't go anywhere. Where are you? Oh, I'm on my way to burn the Houses of Parliament down. Is that your job? Yes. Can you do it from home? <laughs> I'm a no, I have to be at the Houses of Parliament. Carry on. Then it's fine. It's allowed. Lovely. Yes. So I guess that brings us to a sorry end of our podcast Let's hope we can find something that particularly uh, interests us, that we can enjoy when it comes to the cars. We're grateful for the things that we can have, of course. But in the meantime, everyone stay safe. It's been great chatting to you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. So from me, Mike, goodbye. From me, Jim, goodbye. Stay safe. And from me, Graham, well, goodbye. Look after yourselves. And from me, David, I would echo what all my colleagues have just said. Mind how you go, be careful, and uh, we'll see you next time. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.